Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight we have two-thirds of a regular panel, uh, starting with our founder and friend, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, how are you tonight? I'm tired and cranky, but otherwise well. Oh, this is going to be a great <laughs> show. All right, I'm, I'm loving this energy. We also welcome freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I'm clearly the third half full. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I wanted you two here because you're, you're, you're so much older than I am, and so much wiser, <laughs> oh, and you've seen so much more gaming's history uh, than I have. Um, and of course, you were alive when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. So I figure you're ideal for this topic. Uh, you know, in, in the last couple weeks, good old games uh, added Syndicate and Thief Gold to its catalog, and you know, I'm always thrilled to see games that are both good and actually old uh, appear in good old games, because that isn't always the case with what you find there. Uh, but I have to admit that I'm kind of greedy, and I always want a little more. So tonight I wanted to round up this uh, crew of gaming geriatrics and discuss what <laughs> games from the past uh, we'd like to see brought to a wider audience, and why. Um, oh, along the way, I hope we'll uh, rip off each other's rose-tinted glasses and get into what really makes a game hold up, and... You know, in some cases, what we're not getting uh, from from newer releases. Uh, and to be frank, I'm, I also hope we can start lining up topics for classic game analysis uh, so that I don't have to keep throwing Hail Mary show topics together. Uh, because exploiting your friends is one sure way of staying three moves ahead. Ooh, oh, yeah, go. that's right. Nice, nicely oh, done. Yeah, that's right. Enjoy that segue. All right. Uh, so would either of you like to start us off? Sure. So, I mean, I, you know, th th it was sort of a fun exercise because really, you know, the, the best way to get at most old games is good old games, right? Because you get, you get rid of all that backwards compatibility crap, right? If I've bought maybe, I don't know, 15 games on good old games and they just work, which is the beautiful thing about it. Right. And, um, this, the shocking thing actually, when you click on the strategy tab over there, um, despite the fact that they do have some, you know, some absolute classics, uh, is is how few good core strategy games they do have. Now, I mean, they have, like, you know, the whole Masters of Orion series, and they have Panzer General 2. Right. And, you know, th they have definitely some great games there, but uh, good luck trying to play, like, Rome Total War. And I think that's partly because it's not old enough, right? I think that's actually the missing gap here, is games that are, say, quote-unquote, only eight or nine years old, which are certainly old enough to be challenging to both acquire, install, patch, and get working on a modern system, don't quite, you know, don't quite deserve the treatment of, say, populace, right? That's which, you know, they can probably install on, you know, a, a millimeter by millimeter chip now. That's actually a really good point. I, I know that a few years ago I tried to go back and replay uh, Medieval Total War because, you know, that's probably my favorite Total War game. And it. I thought know, Shogun was your favorite Total War game. Oh no, Shogun! Shogun has a special place in my heart. But well, the the new one is probably the best. But if we're talking about like what I'm most emotionally attached to, it's definitely Medieval because uh, that game was just so huge. I spent so much time with it. But yeah, that was one of those games that yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get that treatment. Uh, but at the same time, I've run into some really dogged, weird errors. Uh, trying to get that to work to the point where, to me, it's it's kind of a lost game in my library. It's it's just not worth it, right? right. I mean, I, I I have a copy of Rome Total War sitting on a shelf, and and you know this is this is really the sad thing for me about the state of PC gaming is I just rebuilt my PC, I don't know, seven months ago. I didn't put a DVD drive in it. It literally has no media drive in it because I was able to do everything I wanted to do off the web. 
And right. so, that's just you know, crazy the, talk. Uh, well, I know, but I mean, I think we are heading into that world where, get, you know, not only yeah. would I have to get it off the shelf, I'd have to go like cannibalize a DVD drive from another machine so that I could install it. And I'm sure it's going to want me to check that the DVD is there all the time, um, it, you know, and God forbid it's scratched. And and then I won't be able to get it to work. Right? I mean, that's been right. my overwhelming experience getting anything from, say, 2004 earlier working i mean we it's easy to go really far back into the into the catalog and say oh well we should you know we want to be able to play the original starcraft we want to be able to play the original fallout um right you know th- those yeah. are much more straight down the middle of what you would expect good old games to treat neither one of those games is actually available on good old games um but i would argue that going back and playing StarCraft at this point is, I, I, I don't know. I mean, is anybody still doing that? Didn't StarCraft 2 take all the air out of the room? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not the right person to ask about the multiplayer scene, but certainly uh, certainly the arrival of StarCraft 2 means that I will not be. I will not be going back. Yeah, uh, right. as, mu- as much as I enjoyed, like, Brood War and everything, I mean, for me, that, that day is not. If, if I'm going to play a StarCraft game, I'm going to play the new one. And, um, and I think that's that's a key part of this this discussion is, we have a lot i mean we can have a discussion about great strategy games from our you know ancient history but the question is are any of them good enough that you actually want to play them again or have they all been improved to the point where right. uh, you, you know you, there are better games to play that do the same things i would argue a game like rome and medieval um in the total war series while certainly there have been new total war games they haven't remade rome <laughs> yeah. you know they haven't remade medieval in right. the same way yeah, I mean certainly medieval medieval is the last one with the uh with the risk map. Uh so I mean that's a type of total war game now and I would argue in a lot of ways it's still sort of the best uh strategic mode they ever they ever really had. I I agree. Um, I agree. And mm-hmm. that's just that that's gone now. They've kind of they've kind of erased it from from their design. And so yeah, if you want to enjoy that, good luck. Troy, did you were you saying something? No, I mean that's a it's a good point that Julie has. I mean, there we the, we do classic game analysis of great games, but so many of them are have been superseded, or they other games have filled that void, or there are sequels coming out. Um, I mean, the game that pops to my mind isn't is from like the two thousand era and around there. It's of course the official game, official video game of Three Moves Ahead, and that's Rise of Nations, which is impossible to find anywhere. It's not on Games for Windows Live, it's not on Direct to Drive, it's not on Steam, and it's not on good old games. And people who do have it run into a problem that I had when Jen Cutter and I tried to play once before a podcast uh, we were going to do, uh, that if you have two different versions, the gold version was published by Ubisoft, so it doesn't play multiplayer well with the original Rise of Nations, so you have versions out there which cannot talk to each other even if you do have them just completely incompatible for multiplayer um so i ended up buying the game again just so we could do this uh for the show well that's i mean how that's... much i love you my readers but there's but, but... a game that i think has not been superseded i think it's still one of the best real-time strategy games ever made and it's not on good old games a lot of the microsoft uh stuff isn't and it's a game that i think deserves to be revisited. Um, it's not like, I mean, Alpha Centauri is great. It's a Brian, great, great classic Brian Reynolds design. And it's available. I mean, you can you can go out there and you can you can get that and you can play it. And I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's lived up all that well. Oh, man. You can go to hell. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. I just replayed it. I'm not sure it is aged all that well. I don't think that even that the, uh, that the, uh, I don't think it deals with 
new resolutions all that well. I don't think, I think that, you know, something like Civ 4 comes along and just is such a much, much better turn-based strategy game with a very similar modalities and borrows a lot, of it, as, you know, Soren admitted on the podcast from uh, Alpha Centauri. So you can make the case that, you know, Battlestar is a great classic game, but it's not one that necessarily needs to be revisited and played except for gaming scholars, gaming archaeologists well, like myself. Well, but, but, but I would say Rise of Nations stands up as just a brilliant, amazing, unique real-time strategy game um, that has not been... There's, it, there's, there's a void there. I mean, first, the, the, the classic harvesting model of real-time strategy games is pretty much vanishing. I mean, you have StarCraft, you'll have a new Command & Conquer coming out, and what else? Um, yeah, fa- yeah. Fair, fair, fair enough. I would say that part Akron. of the allure of playing something like you know, playing Alpha Centauri, it's not because it's a mechanic you're not going to get anywhere else. It's a flavor you're not going to get anywhere else, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's not like, it, yeah. you know, the, the the writing in that game, even though it's done in, you know, tiny yes. little sentences one at a time, is so good that, I mean, right. I went and replayed it. Um, I mean, Rob, I know you've been play, replaying it too when it went on good old games. And uh, I think you actually bought me the copy that's sitting on my computer. I believe I just may have abandoned it on your computer. (laughs) Um, And and I played, I don't know, another 10, 12 hours of it. And it was delightful to revisit it, not just from nostalgia, but just because it's so good. right? And I think there – I mean, it's funny you brought up the Microsoft games because I was thinking of Age of Kings, I mean, which is my favorite Age of Empires game. Um, And and again – terrible on modern computers. Yeah, it really it does. needs to be. Well, you know, well shouldn't that just? Up. Wouldn't that just look like um, Age of Mythology? No. I mean, yeah. That, oh, was I Age of Mythology know, a generation advanced from that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, there was nothing unique and incredible about it. It's like not like Age, it's not like Age of Kings pushed the envelope out to the edge. It's just the one that I happen to have the fondest memories of, and I would really love to you know, well, have the opportunity to revisit it. Well, in, well, in a lot of ways, was, it was it was like it was a much much better Age of Empires. I mean, I mean, I, you could argue. Yeah. I, I think that those were kind of like the king of the harvesting RTSs, right? I mean, it yeah. was just all about harvesting and building stuff. And in a lot of ways, like, combat was just a confirmation that you'd correctly manage this really complicated uh, supply chain. I mean, Age and, of and Kings was, it was, it was the real-time strategy game really around, it, it was StarCraft versus Age of Kings, and that's really what it was. Age of right. Kings has so many fans today. It introduced so many things that you see in other genres i mean unique units for civilizations I and mean, we yeah see i mean the civilizations really felt different i mean in a way that you, yeah. it would take until civ 4 that they would really start to feel as different as they felt in age of kings yeah i mean there were there are certain i would say in age of kings they feel even more different because you have you know because some strategies just will not work with certain civilizations they just if you're going to play a raiding civ then you've got to go and you've got to raid and you've got to hit because you're not going to get any really great siege weapons right so th- there was really this push for um, variety and for asymmetry. I mean, we had the show on asymmetry like way, way back in the early days of um, Three Moves Ahead. And we talked about how Rise of Nations was more asymmetrical than Age of Empires. I think we were completely and totally wrong about that. I think Rise of Nations is almost perfect symmetry compared to the variety you get in the Age of Empires games. Uh, but Microsoft, Age of Empires 3 is now available on Steam, but the other ones aren't. 
So I wonder why Microsoft which, which is, is not... a tragedy because I don't actually think Age of Empires three is nearly as good. Well, I, I just yeah. tried to log in a GFW Marketplace to see if uh, any of the earlier Age of Empires are available there. Uh, I got a sign in error, so I couldn't actually get to <laughs> there. You the go. GFW Welcome to Game for Windows Live. Yeah, it's, it's an everlasting joy. Uh, I mean, so... it, it's worth pointing out that Steam has been a great place to pick up some of these games. I mean, the, the XCOM release on Steam. You know, I think everybody I know grabbed that. Um, and again, just like in good old games, they wrap it up in a bow and it just works, which yeah. is really the whole point here. But just just to return to what you were saying about, um, you know, when you're when you're being horribly <laughs> wrong about Alpha Centauri, Troy. I just say um, things to piss you off, yeah. Rob. You know that. Well, that's right. And I'm you, just... you know, you know, I love Alpha Centauri. No, that's true. But I, I, I would say, I, I would say, what makes what makes Alpha Centauri, uh, you know, Julian brought up the wonderful theme, use of theme in that game. But the other thing, and this is something I brought up uh, when when we talked to uh, Brian about it, uh, Brian Soren about it, is that I actually love just sort of the looseness of that design, like stuff that may or may not really work, like all the terraforming options, the climate change options. Like, I don't know if that really makes it a better game, but I love the fact that, you know, you know, to an extent, like, in Civilization Four, so many things just kind of work and fit together beautifully, and I, and I really love that game. It's one of the reasons why it's such a wonderful classic. But I get this sort of giddy sense of wonder at a game like Alpha Centauri, where it's just like at some point they're just like screw it, let's let's do let's do terraforming and see how players can change the global climate. That to me that to me is really cool. That's an, that's a system I want to toy around with. Um, in exchange for that, you got to put up with the terrible unit construction uh, system. But you know it's yeah. Uh, see, for, for for me that just strikes me as you know game design archaeology. Here's a time before games were really polished and focus tested to death, and look at the neat things that they tried to do that may or may not work. So if if you guys hear my uh, my connection breaking up, that's because I just realized that Realm Total War is available on Steam now. I mean, and that's <laughs> that sort of belabors belabors the point here. A lot of times it can be difficult to figure out where to buy these things, right? Because it's not like there's a marketing department for Rome Total War anymore. Um, and, and these things just sort of quietly slip in. If you're not paying attention, you may just miss the fact that your favorite game is all of a sudden available on, you know, platform ABC. Yeah, and there really isn't a really central hub. So, hey, listener out there, if you want to create a website, and just update every time new games are available on digital delivery systems. There's your exactly. million dollar. There's your million dollar idea. I'm giving that away. I, I would bet you that. I would bet you that idea exists almost certainly. Um, <laughs> but and find it for me, Rob. Find it for me. Later, it'll it'll be at okay. the bottom of the podcast. <laughs> um, a lie. It's, it's a terrible, terrible lie. Um, yeah, no, the, the, that's true. The, there's that. There's that generation of games that that are kind of. You know that are you know just not old enough to be sort of preserved and and resurrected, and not new enough to just run without, without a hitch and be part of you know digital delivery from day one. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I kind of want to get to. I want I want to talk about like you know what makes games the notion of the notion of does it hold up the the other day Sean Sands uh from from uh, Games with Jobs was asking about you know whether Syndicate holds up and the thing is like Syndicate is one of those games that I was really really excited to see pop up on good old games at the same time I'm really leery of going back to it because I suspect it really doesn't hold up because my memory of it is even as I was playing it in a lot of ways it didn't quite hold up 
Um, you know, you know it, it, it's weird. How, it's weird how we remember these games. Um, you know, for if for some reason it seems like when the new Syndicate shooter was was announced, people remembered like, oh, Syndicate was this wonderful tactical game, and it really wasn't. You know, it was it, it was much more of a it was much more <laughs> more of a click fest action game with some tactical elements, but it was it was really much more about just you know running through the streets and like slaughtering lots of people and solving these puzzles. Yeah, and you know, talk about games that I, I, I just don't think that's going to have aged well visually either. I mean, I remember the interface not actually being all that great. I I don't know. I, I'd have to look at screenshots, but I have a feeling that that's one of those games that, no matter how nostalgic you are, I I mean, I don't even think it comes up to the level of of elegance that XCOM came up to, and XCOM was no Ouch. visual tour de force. <laughs> yeah, I barely remember Syndicate. I'm not sure I played it very much. Oh man. See, what I do remember what I do remember about Syndicate and I suppose this is, you know, something that I would say has maybe been lost a little bit is and this is going to sound weird. Uh on this show? The, <laughs> well, in a way, games today just aren't violent the way that Syndicate was violent. Syndicate had this amorality at the heart of it. Uh, this bloodthirsty amorality that I don't think I don't think a lot of games really really do court that yeah uh, these days you know to like it, it, you know it might be it might be it might be a game like full of crazy slaughter but it's all this overdone self consciously cartoon violence Syndicate was you know if you think about it, a really disturbing game where I mean you were sort of set in you know cities that for the time I thought looked pretty realistic you know traffic patterns pedestrians. And it was a game that really it was just all about like complete the mission, and all these civilians that populate the city, you they are just, just there. Yeah, but, but, in fact, but they're there to I catch mean, bullets for you. They they were in in fact. I mean, it, it was more like a Grand Theft Auto game than <laughs> anything else. I mean, mm-hmm. it would just sort of had that ability to be like, oh, I need to kill this one guy. I will burn down this entire building in order to get him. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's totally true. I guess. You know, I, I look at, I don't know, for some reason, I, I look at a game like, I, GTA has never sort of, has never really spooked me with its violence, because I think you always run into that problem of the story it's trying to tell says, like, your character's this one thing and the world behaves according to our rules, and then the gameplay is just this insane, you know, slaughter well, in the streets. But, but I also think that, uh, I think there's some truth to the idea that the more photorealistic our games become the the harder it is to really you know peak someone's imagination and your imagination is what really lets you experience horror right it's not uh, you know showing some you know quentin tarantino level of violence on in a video game um which is sort of where the grand theft auto series has started to go um to me never quite captures the true sense of dread that say even reading a book can bring about um, where you're forced to fill in the blanks. And and I think that part of this nostalgia we have is for that level of immersion that we gave ourselves in these games, right? Your memories of Syndicate, uh, you know, I mean, you should go look at some screenshots because I'm sure that you'll look at the screenshots of Syndicate and you'll be like, oh my God, I remember this as being a realistic city. It's in 16 colors. I mean, it's it's super, super 
chunky and the little figures are these you know little 8-bit pixely guys running around right so the idea that it's a violent video game is almost entirely a fabrication that you created in your head because you bought into the story right you bought into what the mission was and so you blew up an entire building that was full of I don't know women and children in order to get the one guy you needed to get and that created all of this conflict in you that now when you do that, you're going to see body parts flying out and it's like jumping into a Quentin Tarantino movie. And in some way, I think that actually desensitizes the experience compared to buying into it from a story perspective and having to fill in all those blanks yourself. So Rob, you didn't say what game you missed. Oh, um, well, I, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of game There's a lot of games I miss. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't want to move. I don't want to move on too quickly from from Julian's point because because right. I think it's I think it's a very good one. Sure. Uh, to be honest, I, I do I do think like when I watch the trailers for the new Syndicate game, for instance, uh, I mean even though it's not really comparable at all to to the old Syndicate, except that you know it's sort of cyberpunk future and it's bloodthirsty as hell. Right. But there is that difference when you see like you know your character has the ability to sort of hack someone's mind chip or whatever and cause like a guard to blow his brains out. Uh, it's all very gory and it's all very horrible and yet kind of cool. But at the same time, you look at you look at that and it's so clearly like this 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 scripted moment, this this game mechanic. Uh, right. That, you know, it's been it's been created for you so that you're going to experience it. But it, you know, everyone's right. going to experience it. Whereas I think there was sort of a there was that there was that sort of buy-in that the that the old syndicate required. I, I agree with you there. But then there was also the sense that the game was so loose, right? Like it just sort of set up the mission and you sort of wandered the city until you figure out the way you're gonna tackle the objective. That it sort of felt like all this crazy, horrible shit that was happening was just kind of happening, you know, without you necessarily doing anything. Like I mean, this was a game where your agents could be killed by a car in a crosswalk. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is this is a game where like there was you know it was, it was an empty sky above. There was no god watching down on it. It was just it was just utter chaos. Um, so so I do think that uh, I do think you're I, I do think you're right, and I, I do think that sense of you know in modern games, so much of the stuff is clearly created for you in a way that with older games it could feel that it was more your moment. Um, but anyway, you no know, some some games that I kind of would like to see come back. Um, well, before I get to before I get to my obvious one, um, you know, I I would kind of like I would really love to see the original uh, Atomic Games close combat games uh, come back. I would love to see those re released. In particular, A Bridge Too Far, but I thought Eastern Front was good. I never I never played the first one. Um, the uh, I think that was the Normandy campaign. Mm-hmm. But I really I really loved those games, and I don't feel that. I don't feel that anyone's really gotten it with those. What made those games so good, and and because, that's weird because, because Matrix games probably has been publishing uh, close combat games. Yeah, and you know, I I, I got their I got their um, Market Garden war game, and because I kind of figured that's I I kind of figured that you know that that would be sort of a remake of Bridge Too Far, and it really wasn't. Um, I kind of feel like w- with the Matrix things that they aren't remade. I kind of feel like Matrix, and uh, I think I think Slytherin is also uh, involved in in remaking those games. They've taken too many liberties. Was my reaction to it? The maps are huge now. I mean, they were, you know, some of them were always big, but now they're just uniformly gigantic. And they've also increased the number of units under your command uh, to the point where that that 
intimacy that would develop between you and your troops in close combat where you kind of knew like who the top guys were in each unit that's kind of been lost you know you've gone you've gone from commanding maybe you know uh at most like a couple hundred troopers uh to at this point like it, it seems like you've got hundreds right uh and at that point it's just at that point you're fighting with little clone armies and therefore you might as well be playing any other war game. When what made close combat so special was that these weren't clone armies, you know? It was all about, like, sort of discerning uh, personality and anthropomorphizing your troops uh, well, that made them really memorable. But but I also think, I mean, I remember Bridge Too Far quite vividly, although I haven't probably played it since, I don't know, 2000 or whatever. What was it? When did it come out? 98, 99, 2000? Part of what was so astounding, I remember when I started playing that was what it did graphically, right? I mean, it, it you know, like like so many console games that at the, you know, are, are released sort of at the end of a console life cycle that really learn how to use everything at their disposal. That's how I felt about that. I, mean, I remember the, the, you know, how that, that top-down look in the cities and mm-hmm. stuff, and it felt like playing advanced squad leader, right? I was like, oh, that's a stone building, and oh, you know, I've got a, you know, I've got a hill over got here on the, the side. Sound effects. Yeah, and it, it, for a game yeah. that, you know, was pre, you know, it was pretty ancient at this point, what, 10, 12, 14 years old, um, it, that's a game that I think holds up, right? That's a game that didn't necessarily need to be updated. And I agree. I mean, I think that that whole series has moved towards being overly complex. And there was a certain simplicity that sort of came right at the time they were really understanding what to do with that generation's, uh, you know, PC hardware that just really, it, it was just a sweet spot. And uh, I don't think they've recaptured that. That's true. And, and in, in fairness to Matrix, I kind of feel like if they made a mistake, it's one that uh, Microsoft and Atomic sort of led them into. Because I think they very much continued from where that series left off, where even by the Eastern Front uh, game, Close Combat 3, things were starting to get a little out of hand in terms yeah, of scale. Yeah, which you see, I, I think that Bridge Too Far might be the last one that I played. I think I played the one before that and then Bridge Too Far. Yeah, and see, I played Bridge Too Far and uh, the Eastern Front one. And the Eastern Front... That that is another thing, I guess. If we're talking about like what I miss about about games uh, from 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 that era and, and older games, is that seems like it was it was a product of an, of an age where it was much more okay to just say, you know what, we're making a game about this one battle in this one campaign, and that's it. You know, that's that's yeah. your subject. Um, where you know, even a few years later, when they did Close Combat Three, it couldn't just be, well, we're doing Barbarossa or we're doing Stalingrad. It had to be everything. From Barbarossa to the fall of Berlin in 1945. That is a lot of wargaming. That is a huge topic. And you're dealing with armies that change a lot over that period. And then you try to fit it all into a coherent campaign. And at that point, you know, you know, that's your real a bridge too far. You know, I don't think I don't think you can I don't think you can you can bridge that gap. Um, and so I think A Bridge Too Far was a really sort of happy moment. You know, and this is sort of dovetails with stuff that Bruce has talked about before as well. It's this happy moment where, the, you know, designers were, I guess, more in harmony with their limitations, and they did great things working within those limitations, rather than kind of unwisely trying to reach beyond them. Right. What about what about you, Troy? What about me? Any other games besides, because we, we knew you were going to say Rise of Nations. Because it's, you know, it's the only right answer. Um <laughs> I mean, I try to think of games that have been like the close combat games that have been tried in Syndicate. There's going to be some sort of variation. Um, I think of uh, 
God, I'm trying to think what games are available and what aren't. I'm supposed to look at the good old game because you know I, I was. If we'd done this, you know, last year, I would have said Populous, but well, now Populous is in good old games. I might have said Starflight, but now Starflight's in good old games. You know, the good news is that a, a lot of these games are coming out. I remember Masters of Orion coming out on good old games, and that just being like, you know, made my month. And and you know, there's not that much that's still uh, unplayable out there in some way or another. Um, you know, I mean, and and certainly in Strategy Land, I think Strategy Land has gotten the treatment. Oh, um, one. Pretty, pretty, oh, now, now I know the answer because one of my readers just commented on this. Um, I'm beginning my new feature series on science, and imperialism is one of the games. In the comments, someone said, well, "Where can I get that? That doesn't cost sixty dollars." And there's a game that really has not been. You know, there have been other games about that era, about exploration, about. Uh, 19th century uh, imperialism, but really nothing with quite the panache uh, and simplicity and beauty of uh, those games from Frog City. So those are other games. Once again, those are from that same era, the late 90s um, period, the the rebirth of strategy gaming in a way after, well, the I guess the, the end of the golden age of strategy games, a bit of a silver age. If the golden age starts with civilization, I guess it's continu- and it continues the next decade, and then we get a bunch of shit. Um, not shit, but less of it. How's that? Less quality titles is regularly. Right. So yeah, the imperialism games. I mean, it was like, I'm just so cliche. We've created my favorite titles all the time. Uh, but th- once again, those are games that I'm not sure who owns Frog City. I think that's one of the issues. I asked Rachel Bernstein this a few years ago at E3. I said, well, you know, who owns the copyright to imperialism. I'd like to see those re-released or remade or revisited. And she said she had no idea. She was working for EA at the time, and as far as she knew, EA didn't own them. So they've gotten in the in that period of all these studios rising and falling, and copyrights being swapped and traded, and intellectual property moving around, and developers moving around. And she doesn't know who owns it. Um, and so. I'm not even sure where... And this is certainly an issue, I think, with good old games, is they buy studio rights to release certain games. Go to studios, hey, we'd like you to release all these classic games you own. And I wonder how many studios know exactly what they own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and those things can get really complex, right? I mean, yeah. we, how many well, I think every, have we seen? Everything in the Sierra Vivendi line got really confused, didn't it? Because, I mean, Sierra itself was comprised of several different purchases across yeah. different eras. So I think every, every everything in that line, uh, the, you know, the, the rights tend to be a little more complicated uh, than, than they are other places. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, if I go through my overall list, not just limiting to strategy games, you know, there are notable franchises like X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, right? That, that Well, Lu- LucasArts' complete abandonment of any yeah. sort of backwards compatibility is just... So- yeah, I mean, secret weapons have to love the Luftwaffe. Oh my god, yeah, it's just yeah. It's utterly so disgraceful. A, a flight sim that has a strategy campaign in it. A good one. At the, a Brilliant. really good strategy campaign Brilliant. where you yeah. can flight them, you can fight them, you can fly the missions, or you can just... You, to where you target your bombers and your fighters. It's such a brilliant game, and it's nowhere. Um, and that's the kind of game that I think we could even talk about on the show, on you know dynamic campaigns and in flight sims, because uh, there's a strategy element to some of that. And but Secrets of Luftwaffe are nowhere to be found uh, because Lucas, I'm, like I said, Lucas Arts. What is it about? What is it about Lucas Arts that makes this happen? Well, I mean, 
you you could argue, I suppose, that unless Lucas can somehow vandalize the past, he has no interest in it. Uh, so that, that, that could that could account for the indifference there. Oh, well um, said. But no, it's it, it, it's it's really stunning to me. The Dark Forces games have been sort of rescued from Oblivion, but at the same time, I think the Steam versions. Everyone I've I've talked to who's tried to run them, they, they they've been kind of troubled in terms of making them work. Uh, which doesn't surprise me. Dark Forces uh, was, you know, I mean, that's a DOS game. Yeah, I mean, and when you start digging that far back into the 90s, right, that that does become a problem that, that you know, like MechWarrior 2. I mean, to me, that's still the best MechWarrior game. Can you play that anywhere? I don't think so. I don't think you can. I mean, I've got the discs, but... <laughs> well, and then there, then there's that re-release of um, Mech 4, right? Right. Except that seems to have been botched to hell and gone. Like I've tried to download it like three times in the last year, mm-hmm. and for some reason I just it it will not work. Because uh, the guys who they released it through don't seem to have quite put their act together in terms of hosting it. So yeah, that's frustrating. I guess yeah the the Lucas games the Lucas games are just a huge sort of gaping hole in gaming history. Because like I mean you know Tie Fighter you know is kind of the quintessential. I mean it's Tie Fighter and Free Space Two are kind of the kings of the uh, entire space combat genre. And one of them is basically, it just exists in your memory. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, but but a lot of those other ones, like some of the Wing Commander games have come out on on good old games. Um, Descent, Descent 2 and 3 are all out on good old games. You know, so it's free space. So, so you know, that genre is at least somewhat represented uh, out there. Yeah. But yeah, it's missing, it's definitely missing the crown jewel. You know, and I suppose, um, I don't know, I, I look at, it, it just seems like a lot of, wargaming doesn't fare too well when it comes to, um, you know, having its having its older games uh, widely available. Uh, the the example that, you know, positively leaps to mind is everything in uh, the uh, Gettysburg line, and everything in the Gettysburg line uh, right. from yeah, Fraxis. Yeah, we got, yeah, we have a million remake of, remakes of Pirates available. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so I mean, and, and like, you know, I never played. There, there was one game I was really wanted to play, and that was that was the third game uh, in that line. I don't think I don't think I'm not sure Fractus had anything to do with it, but it was the Napoleonic one. Troy, did you ever play that one? Uh, Waterloo? No. Was that was that was that the game Waterloo? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I would love to play a Napoleonic game based on the uh, on the Gettysburg system, but. You know, just all all of those. It's like they they've just been swallowed up. And I mean, I guess you can go hunt for them on Amazon. And you can make you can't like at least as of like two years ago, you could make Gettysburg work. Uh, so I assume you probably still can. But it's just those should be thing that, that those should be things that should be like instantly available because I mean they, I mean they're brilliant games and they, they had a lasting legacy. I mean, sometimes I wonder about if I mean this is an issue with film too, an issue with TV, especially in their first. 20, 30 years of great success, you know, preserving the past and making it accessible uh, to users and to viewers. I mean, this isn't, gaming isn't the first industry to go through these issues, but it's the right. one that probably has the fastest rate of technical obsolescence. Yeah, and uh, I actually worry that it's getting worse, not better, right? I mean, at least you can still, I, you know, to, to me, the classic example is Steel Battalions, which I, I you know, recently got the controllers and got the, all the discs for it, even found, a, you know, I had to get a new Xbox, original Xbox to play it, right? That's a game that, you know, once my disc is scratched, 
I'm doomed. However, at least I can go find somebody else's. It may be a $500 disc, or maybe somebody will figure out how to copy it, and I'm sure other people have. Um, but it, but at least there's a disc that can change hands. One mm-hmm. thing I worry about is I've become such a – I rely so much on digital distribution, and so many games that we talk about are actually primarily distributed through digital distribution now that once those things stop being distributed that way or those stores you know, become obsolete – are we actually worse off 10 years from now than we are right now? Well, this is an issue, I mean, of you know, you know, preserving codes, preserving the rights to these codes. If these, develop, if these developers, if the digital distribution system continues, will the developers still honor the codes? Um, I guess. It's, right. I don't, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a it, mess. It, I mean, it, in some ways, this is, the to me, the only, um, the only, positive and and we'll get hate mail for this the only positive part about games being so widely pirated on the pc is that i i like to think that somebody out there has some you know archived you know multi-gigabyte hard drive that's got the code for every single game i love on it so that when i'm 80 years old you know that stuff goes into the public domain and it'll at least be something i can pass off to my grandkids well i mean i don't know no, I mean, th- there was that story in Rock, Paper, Shotgun today about the, the dude who just sort of randomly locked out of a Steam account and everything. I mean, this is, you know, Steam's the example, you know, par excellence, right? Like, I mean, you know, if Steam, if Steam lets you down, if, you know, if Steam ever fails us, like, you know, in, the, in that scenario you're positing, Julian, where, you know, are we worse off because of digital distribution? If Steam ever fails us, I sort of imagine the world as being, cert- well, like, this blasted Cannibaltian wasteland. Uh, you know, Steam is down <laughs> and the robots have come to kill us all. Um but but the thing is, though, I mean, so much of this just depends on this attitude of, well, you know, just trust us. But the thing is, I mean, you've got, you've got, you've got publishers who are sort of building ways to break their games into their game, uh, you know, a, a, as part of DRM. And I, I, do think, I, do, I, I do think it's a totally valid concern that so many of these games have sort of been built, you know, from the ground up to query some server somewhere before you can even play the damn thing. Uh, and if that and if that and if that fails you, the game effectively doesn't exist. Uh, I wonder how many of Ubisoft's games will even function from disc or not in <laughs> uh, say three years. Five years. Five yeah. years. I don't even. I don't even know. Like, Ubi- if they yeah. work now. If, yeah, if they work now, uh, Ubisoft. Ubisoft. I don't. I don't. I don't even know. Um, you know, they, they they sort of they change their they change their DRM system with the weather. It's it's very hard. It, it's one of those publishers. Well, for all that I know, I they're anti DRM today. <laughs> well, well, no, not not if the not you not not if the Anno stories are true, right? Where somebody changes their video card and they disable your uh, your activation. But no, I, I I do think that's that's a totally valid concern that um, you know, when when support dries up or when the, when these things are sort of just you know dropped and and forgotten, what becomes of them? Because they they were built from the ground up to depend on ongoing maintenance. Uh, and there there's certain places that I think you can largely guarantee that that maintenance will be there. I mean, a Blizzard game, um, you know, again, like I I trust Blizzard to be there supporting their games for for years and years to come. But I I look at I look at a publisher like Ubisoft who fundamentally I don't think you know give a shit. And those games, I kind, I kind of worry about, you know, like in ten years, if we want to do, you know, if we want to get together a game of Ruse or something, are we going to be able to do that? I have no faith that we will. Yeah, certainly. When you start thinking about matchmaking systems, right. forget it. 
Well, it'll be, it may not be the same as today, because there'll still be the only three people in the world playing Ruse. <laughs> right. There God can't be it. fewer people in the matchmaking <laughs> systems. Oh, that would be mathematically impossible. Okay, people. Just Wargame European Escalation comes out this year. Don't fuck it up. Okay, yes. let's, let's get this it. one right. <laughs> let's give them a chance. The Ruse is a great game. People should have bought it. But yes. But but yeah, so I mean that that's that's concern. I do think, you know, it seems like I've heard a lot about like game preservation efforts, but it always seems sort of focused on this curated like museum type model, which is interesting. I think it's cool to preserve sort of the tchotchkes and memorabilia and the physical objects that were games, but ultimately, you know, just just as with like you know film. Or, or music. This is stuff that's meant to be enjoyed by an audience, not sort of put behind a pane of glass. Right? A lot of that, has, well, once again, tied to the whole the, the, the rights issue. You might have the right to preserve it, but you have the right to distribute it. Yes. Right. And, and I mean, I've t- I spent a lot of time talking to the guys up at the Rochester Museum of Play who yep. um, who sort of do both parts of this, right? They are both worried about preserving, you know, the artifacts of gaming, um, but they're also very concerned about preserving the actual code base in a playable form, right? And so when they're, when they're looking at, you know, what are we going to spend our acquisition dollars on? One of the things they're looking at is, okay, can we not only go, say, get this giant collection of great cartridges, but can we, um, you know, then get all the ROM dumps off them so that if the cartridges fail in 50 years, we at least have the code so that we could create a playable system out of it, right? Because their whole, and, and most of the museums that are doing these preservation preservation things are looking to create playable environments one way or another. You know, they're some things that you're not going to be able to go uh, get your hands on every time, right? You know, the original prototype Odyssey system, right? There's only one of those, and they're not going to let everybody come up and play it. But they can certainly create awfully good simuraculums and let people play with those. So, uh, you know, that's one of the good things is because all of this stuff is fundamentally digital, making recreations of it is actually not that hard. Right. I do. I mean, are you familiar at all with... um? You know what? What sort of copyright law governs games? So, I mean, when does when does a game fall into public domain, if ever? Oh God, I I, I assume it's a little bit like Mickey Mouse, right? As long as somebody's yeah. paying attention to it, the answer is effectively never. Right, and I mean that's and, and that's the thing. Like copyright law in itself has been so clearly gamed. Uh, you know, to 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 work in the favor of of rights holders, but I think you know, and, and that's great. I suppose if you've got an evergreen thing like Mickey Mouse and and the Disney Disney Library, you know, what the hell? I mean, I you know, I I don't really have a dog in that fight. But what it kills is stuff on the margins where it's going to have a small devoted following, but never it's never going to be anyone's big business. And at that point, you know, you're, you're really you know. The cause of preservation is really better served by just having things fall into a place where anybody can curate, and you can sort of open source the solution for making these things available to everyone. You know, and that's, I mean, that's that's what I that's what I really like to see, is is more of these games that sort of like fallen through the cracks. Um, you know, just you know, have that have that rights issue go away because clearly nobody actually cares. You know, whoever owns the rights to imperialism. I don't think I don't think if you if you made imperialism available on, uh, available as a, as a free download somewhere, sure. I don't think they'd right. be like, well, shit, there goes our sequel. Right? You know, they might be. They might care about. They might care about somebody else trying to make a sequel called imperialism, but they're not actually trying to protect the code base from the original. Right. And, and that and that's where I think a lot of the stuff a lot of the stuff gets gets kind of ridiculous. 
is that you got everyone in fear of like treading on a rights holder, but a rights holder clearly doesn't care or may not even remember that they, that they own this. There's that. Yeah, I, th- I think that about does it. I, you know, the 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 number the number one series on my list that I want to see made available because I, I I know for a fact it holds up is Myth. Uh, and this yeah. this year we yeah. got to do a classic game analysis on those uh, on those games. Uh, would we, should we do the third one? I never played the third one. Neither did I. Nope. I don't even know. Can we so play, let's it? play it? Is it available? <laughs> no, that's that's the whole point. So how are we going to how are we going to do a classic game analysis on it if none of us have played it and you can't get no, it? No, <laughs> some of us have played. Some of us have played it. I still have it. You got uh, myth three, well, but I got myth no, one first and two. One. But yeah, myth three. But yeah, no, no, that's what we were just saying. If we, oh, so we just skipped do myth three. three. We, we pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> kind of what Bungie does, but no, I've, I've I've heard two things. I've heard either that game was crap or it gets a bad rap just because it wasn't Bungie. I've always kind of wanted to know the truth. But either way, I've played I've played Myth and Myth Two fairly recently, and those are games that both still look really good. And I would still say uh, their gameplay really hasn't aged. Um, it's they they are still fantastic, and I kind of feel like. You know, everyone kind of went off in a total war direction with big armies and huge maps and everything. But what I love about Myth is it has this this combination of, you know, it, it's it's very tactical, but it's also very fast paced and uh, you know it's kind of a it, it's very much a game of quick reflexes and uh, close quarters fighting in a way that the total war games and their and their offspring never really are. So that's that's a series that I would I would love to see I would I would love to see come back because. Um, you know, I think I think everyone should have a chance to play it. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, let's let's make a point of, of hitting those this year. All right. Uh, any final games you want to put up there for consideration? Time caps is closing. Nope. Everything's nope. fine. I have all the games I need right now. All right. <laughs> Let the dead pass bury its dead. All right. On that note, we will leave off our discussion of games we'd like to see return to good old games. I hope somebody in a position of power was listening and that next week Myth will be released on good old games. Uh, because, I mean, man, will we have clout then? Like, you'll never, we'll never stop talking about it. Uh, it'll be just like that time we got Minerva's Den released on PC. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Thanks so much for the great discussion, guys. Uh, next week, uh, I, I hope we will be discussing uh, King Arthur Two, the role-playing war game, and some of the odd, nifty little ideas that are uh, running around in there. Uh, but for tonight, we'll leave off with a wish for Myth's swift return. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.